Olympic slam after Joe went shoulder first into the steel. Angle, circling over Samoa Joe, who's down, but is he out? He put the straps up, he took him back down again, and he's going to put the angle lock again. He's trying to bring him right back in now, look at this. Is he a five? Joe's going to find it off with everything he's got. Can he get to the roots? Is he going to tap? He's just this close. You can see just inches away. gentlemen pay attention this is your boy the coach from the wwe i would like to welcome you to the very first wrestling podcast in the world to take you on a weekly deep dive into classic matches along with legends of the squared circle enjoy the discussion enjoy the back and forth there's so much to get into ladies and gentlemen this is the payoff Joe is gonna kill you. Joe is gonna kill you. This is Tom Healy, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, Jeffrey Ryan. Jeff, this was a brutal feud and a brutal match, and I can't wait to talk about it. But first, how the hell are you doing? Yeah, two things, my friend. I'm excited. Uh, Our first ever conversation about a TNA match on the payoff. So that's always very cool. And then two, I wish he would get the push he deserves, but I am a huge Samoa Joe fan. So, Uh, you know, you're one of these guys that thinks every single person on the roster should be world champion and get more TV time. There can only be 28 champions in WWE, Jeff. He could be a top mid-carder, and I'd be perfectly happy with that. So make the guy a belt. I'd be perfectly fine with that, too. But good guy. Looking forward to jumping into his career a little bit and kind of seeing what was happening. So before we get into the match, as always, subscribe to the payoff. Give us those five stars. Spread the word about the show. It's what we need from you. Kind of helps us out as well, too, and it's always good stuff. As always, and we love the engagement at Payoff Pod, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You guys know it. If you're responding or replying to our kind of stuff on Twitter, we are always out there, you know, engaging and we enjoy that very much. And then lastly, that Patreon, we're seeing those patrons go up, those numbers go up. And so just one tier, payoffpatreon.com. You can find us just from searching us. We got that after show. We're going to put a monthly bonus episode out pretty quick here. You know, just some discussions on big pay-per-views, wrestling events, things like that. It might be Tom, might be me, might be Tom and I, might be a guest. You never know. So kind of check that stuff out. But one tier, simple stuff, payoffpatreon.com. So Tom, what else do you got for those listening? Yeah, thanks, you know, as always, everyone for supporting the show, social media, Patreon, you name it. Really appreciate it and can't do this without you. So thank you for everything you do to make the payoff continue to grow and pick up new subscribers every week. As always, quick reminder, go back in the archives if you haven't listened to the past shows. We've got some really, really fun episodes in the archives. So download them all, make sure to listen to them and catch up with every episode of The Payoff. As always, Jeff, each week you like to explain to our new listeners, new friends to The Payoff, how we do things here. So give us a quick rundown, my friend. Yeah, super simple, but we give you that deep dive into a match every Monday. And each episode has those three parts, the build, the payoff, the aftermath. We talk about what happened before the match. We talk about the, you know, the, just the match of the career with our you know, special guest superstar, legend, whoever it might be. And then we talk about what happened after the match. So just those three parts. 
you know, share a few reviews, write-ups from, you know, just when the match occurred and what the talking heads were saying, and then we get into our payoff scores. So always good stuff. But Tom, why did you want to talk about this one? And never forget, first in the world to do a weekly deep dive into a match. So, yeah, this is a fun one, Jeff, because I have seen very, very little of TNA. Now, interestingly enough, I, I met Kurt Angle at an appearance that he did in Vegas. I was just walking through a mall and I saw him and I said, well, I need to stop and get my picture with Kurt Angle. He's a Pittsburgh guy. I'm a Pittsburgh guy. So, you know, I was talking to him and you know, he brought up a great point. He's like, and this is while he was still in TNA. He's like, this is the best stuff I've ever done in my career. And I, of course, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I absolutely big fan, you know, but I hadn't seen any of it. And so I've started to see some of it. This match was, was a great way to, to check it out. But some of the best matches and best work he did in his career actually took place in TNA. So it was exciting for me to go back and take a look at this match, at what he was doing in TNA. This is essentially his debut, you know, his first main angle, no pun intended, as a member of the TNA roster. So again, really looking forward to checking out what he did in TNA. I look forward to us doing other episodes, not just of TNA in general, but with Kurt Angle specifically, because again, you're talking one of the greatest performers and in-ring wrestlers of all time. And he's saying that this is the best stuff in his career and we haven't seen any of it. So looking really forward to this. Jeff, what about you? Why'd you want to do this match? Yeah. You know, I like you and really, you know, a lot of people out there, it's just, I didn't watch a ton of TNA when it was happening in real time. I think that's the case for most people probably listening, but I'm sure we've got some big TNA fans, but looking at just this card alone and the roster for TNA, it was just, it was out of control how good it was. And this card alone, and I just to kind of take that snapshot that, you had Christopher Daniels, who, of course, AEW now. You had R-Truth, Ron Killings at that time. Lance Hoyt, who just kind of wrapped up, you know, not too long ago, like a G1 run. And so he's out there still doing a whole lot. You had Billy Gunn in the Road Dog. You had Sting, Kurt Angle, Samoa Joe. This is just this card. AJ Styles. Hindsight is twenty twenty, and You know, we kind of know, but, like, why did this not work? It's incredible. Because the booking sucked. Right. We know that now. The roster's loaded. You have everything you need. You've got legend. You've got young guys. You've got great workers. It was all there. It was incredible. And so look at like, and even now I didn't know like when they were on TV. I I couldn't tell you like where the, you know, what the deal was there. Well, we still can't. That's part of the problem. Every week it's a new time slot, new station streaming on this place at 2 a.m. on Saturdays. It's so damn tough to take, you know, even if you want to watch it, you can't find it. And no matter what, this match, it's, it's typically, you know, near the top of just some of the best TNA lists, if not, some I was reading, it was the top. So I'm ready to jump in. And with that being said, let's get to the build. Oh, it's time for the build. All right. It's time for the build. Now, Jeff, TNA Genesis 2006. We're taking place on November the 19th. We're in the impact zone in Orlando, Florida, otherwise known as Universal Studios. So how this would work is you'd buy a general admission ticket to Universal Studios. You'd get in line. You'd probably wait a few hours if you wanted a good seat, but there was no cost for the actual show. So you'd get diehards that would line up for this. Now, part of me wonders, why didn't I move to Orlando when I graduated college and wanted to go somewhere warm? Because you know, over the years, you've had these free TNA shows. You have the free NXT shows. You have all this stuff that happens in Orlando. There was even talk at one point of putting a WWE Hall of Fame in Orlando. Bunch of the wrestlers live there. So maybe I should have gone to Orlando and I could have gone to all these free shows over the years. But yeah, they're recording this on a soundstage in Universal Studios. Now, Jeff, a little bit of trivia for you. Do you know the first show that they filmed on the soundstage that would become the Impact Zone? But we love this trivia. I do not know. It was Guts. Guts. You know what? Nickelodeon. 
I would kill for someone to hand me a piece of the aggro, Craig. I love that show. Like, <laughs> train like you're training to be on guts, and uh, you will be in shape, my friend. No, as a kid, they made their stuff pretty awesome. That um, show was great. We're definitely talking about that on the after show. Done. They also would record some WCW stuff on that soundstage as well. So pretty interesting. I think that the max they could jam into the configuration based on the way they did it was about 1400 All right, November 2006. What's going on in the business? So TNA gets this primetime Thursday night spot on Spike TV. I'm not even going to go down the rabbit hole of like all of the different time slots and all of the different stuff going on, but just know that they had a big time two hour primetime spot on Spike TV just days before this pay-per-view. So they've got this interesting dilemma where it's like, well, we need to load up this two hour show to pop a big rating on Spike, but... We also need to not give too much away and make sure that we're building to the pay-per-view on Sunday that hopefully people are going to buy. So tricky little spot there. And they would have a two-hour show that was it was reviewed as okay. All right. That's basically the general idea of what the reviews were. The big thing on this show was it was Kurt Angle's first TNA match. So, you know, they brought him in. He had done some guest refing, done some different things, but they actually had him make his wrestling debut on this free television show as opposed to on the pay-per-view. Then he would go on a few days later and, and main event Genesis against Samoa Joe. The, the show would get a 1.0 rating, 1.04 to be exact. It wasn't, you know, a win. It wasn't a loss. It was slightly disappointing overall. But again, this was, you know, at the time, it was said to be the biggest week in the history of TNA. A lot of blame for why the show didn't work was around Vince Russo's booking. That seemed to be the general idea. I mean, as Jeff said, and, and this is going to be a common theme in this week's show, the talent was there. It was just really some odd booking, to say the least. So, you know, this, this show had some interesting things. <laughs> the one thing in particular that I, I thought was interesting was in this six-sided cage that they have, they had Christian in a steel cage match with barbed wire on it okay so kind of an interesting little thing there his opponent would be rhino in that match and they just had some other you know stuff they had Samoa Joe open the show in a quick match he beat Jay Lethal by submission so keeping him strong for Kurt Angle on on Sunday and then the main event of that show was the best received match on the show which was a 15 minute match between Kurt Angle and Abyss Kurt Angle would obviously get the win they said it was a hot main event three and a half stars but again it was just a tricky little balance because you wanted to pop a rating but they put Kurt Angle in the ring for the first time and who knows if it was a good idea or not also it was an interesting debate at the time was should this be a one-hour show should it be a two-hour show which is better and I always think that's an interesting debate because I don't know if you're running a business and you can get content for two hours and get paid for it then you're obviously going to take it but I don't know. Sometimes you think less is more. So Jeff, my question to you is strictly as a fan. Okay. You're not, I'm not asking you to give me the business side of it. I'm just saying as a fan, do you prefer a one hour wrestling show like NXT used to be like WCW and, and raw were back in the day? Like, do you like that one hour format or do you prefer the two hours? If I had to pick like, Definitely not it's two hours. Like that's the sweet spot for me. I think one hours, you know, I want a little bit more. Three hours is just so long. Two is right where I'm at. I feel good about two. Okay. Yeah. I, I see both sides of it. You know, it just depends, but I don't know, man. Some of this stuff, it just goes on and on and on. And sometimes I think less is more. Yeah. So that was debate going on at the time. Now they had an interview with Jeff Jarrett and, you know, they asked him was, was, Joe and Angle, the most important main event. And he's like, well, every main event's the most important, which, you know, people kind of made fun of him for because that was always like TNA's calling card. It's the biggest ever and the biggest surprise ever. This pay-per-view did a really good buy rate though for TNA, you know, 60,000 buys, which was the biggest at the time for TNA. So, you know, the idea of building to Angle versus Joe, again, it wasn't even for the world title. The world title was defended earlier in the show. It was seen as a big deal and it did well. 
you know, also going on the business at the time, Raw was in Pittsburgh, which is where Kurt Angle's from. And there was a huge We One Angle chant. Obviously, he wasn't showing up for that. So WWE fans certainly missing Kurt Angle because he kind of abruptly just left. And also has zero to do with what we're talking about today, other than it was happening at the same time. But Survivor Series 2006. Now, I wasn't looking for this. I was just scrolling through some notes. Jeff, do you remember what the opening match was of Survivor Series 2006? I do not. Well, neither did I. And this one, I, I never in a million years would have guessed this actually took place. I certainly didn't remember it. It was a Survivor Series match with Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes, Sergeant Slaughter, and Farouk against the Spirit Squad. God, love me some Spirit Squad, man. Maybe when we have the Sarge on the show, we'll cover that match. I'm sure that he views that as one of the classics of his legendary career. I'm sure that's one the fans are screaming to hear about. And so that'll get upvoted pretty big. (laughs) (laughs) So again, you know, the card for this night, Jeff mentioned some of the really talented guys on the show, you know, Christian defeating AJ Styles was, was seemed like a real highlight of the show. That was actually the longest match on the show. Now here's an interesting one, the semi main event or the second to last match on the show. It's for the NWA world heavyweight title, which was, was their heavyweight championship in TNA. It was between Abyss, who was taking on the champion Sting. Now, Abyss would win via disqualification. Jeff, does world championships change hands via disqualification? So many questions for me today. They shouldn't. Correct. However, apparently there was a long-forgotten rule in TNA that championships do change hand by disqualification. So Abyss would beat Sting, who had only been champion for a month, via disqualification to win the championship. I'm sure that that was well-received and made a whole bunch of logical sense. And then we would obviously get to the main event, which is Kurt Angle, Samoa Joe, in a 13-minute, 35-second brutal match, which we'll obviously get to. So that's what's going on in the business. That's a little overview for you. Jeff, as you do each week, from a storyline standpoint, walk us through the build to how we got to the first matchup ever between Kurt Angle and Samoa Joe. Yeah, you know, Tom and I discussed how we wanted to lay this show out ahead of time and decided that focusing on Joe was the way to go. So let's talk a little bit about, as I sometimes refer to him when I'm doing my fantasy booking, to Samoan Joseph. So Joe started out, he actually signed with UPW. It was Ultimate Pro Wrestling in 2000. This is where we get the immediate connection with our guest who comes into play is Rick Bassman as he was the founder of UPW. So we you know, previously talked to him a little bit on our Hulk and uh, Warrior episode, so make sure to go back and check that out. So, Tom, question for you. It's my turn now. You want to take a stab at who was one of the first people Joe feuded with at the UPW? I'll say The Miz. Incorrect. Close. Another one still out there doing his thing, though. But, uh, of course, the up-and-coming John Cena. Oh. Um, a big one there. And so it's funny to me, too, as I was kind of reading that, that imagine just these two guys in 2000, you know, really almost 20 years ago at this point, and now where they are today. Just absolutely crazy to think about that. You know, how what you know, 20 years ago, what were we doing? Like, you know, it's just insanity. So, so hold on. That was the beginning of Cena's career, right? Yeah. Well, you know what the big knock on him was back then, right? Hmm. He only had three moves of doom. Wow. You just slipped it in there. I didn't even see it coming. Okay. So <laughs> he's up a six now. Yeah, are you yeah, testing I, I six? Think the sixth yeah. move of doom is that stupid punch that he does. It is the punch. Yeah. Okay. Oh. The seventh is going to be he gets a good haircut. So yeah, what could Cena do that would look weaker than his STFU submission hold that he barely puts in? <laughs> oh, a, a, a fake working punch to knock a guy out. All right. Hey, it's good stuff. It's like the women's right though. It's a good move. So with that though, you know, Joe actually, like I said, debuted then, but then he actually bounced around a little bit. Did some time in Japan, Ring of Honor. He had a stint with PWG, a bunch of other, you know, acronyms. And, and looking at his resume, it was really about four or five other, I say small, or he does really indie promotions. He ended up debuting in TNA on June 19th, 2005. It was at their Slammiversary pay-per-view. At the time, this was their first ever Slammiversary. And he took on Sanjay Dutt 
and beat him in just over six minutes using both the muscle buster and the coquina clutch. So sidebar, the muscle buster could be one of, I think, the best finishers out there. It just yeah, if it looks, doesn't break your neck. Yeah, if it doesn't break your neck. And that's the biggest thing. You know, in preparation for this and, you know, doing my homework, I, I kind of watched some compilation videos and, you know, watching the positioning. And I fully understand why they don't really let him and we don't really see the move done much anymore. I was kind of wondering, if, like, what's safer, if it was the muscle buster, like Kenny Omega's, like, one-winged angel. But either way, like, the move, it just looks brutal when he does it. But remember how we were talking earlier this week and I – said that he hurt someone and I couldn't remember who it was and I thought it might have been Cody Rhodes. Huh. Well, he may have hurt Cody doing the move, but who's the person that he hurt? Do you remember? No, I don't. I'm looking it up right now. It's the only reason I know. So I didn't know this either. Tyson Kidd. That's how he got hurt. Oh, interesting. Okay. We will discuss that more later. That's interesting. Okay. Well, that's quite the factoid for our fans. All right. So that's a good one. Not good, but you know, interesting. So along this time though, you know, getting back to Joe, he feuded with a bunch of people that were there. So AJ Styles, the two of them had a lot of matches, Christopher Daniels as well. Sabu, a name that I was surprised to kind of see thrown in there, but sure. Just the man is, you know, ageless, you know, not ageless, but he's always out there wrestling. A big Papa pump, Scott Steiner, the two of them had some matches sting really big names. Again, how does this fail? terrible booking so he had uh, injuries a little bit and I kind of sidelined him for a few weeks but since his debut back in 2005 something to keep in mind is that all the way in the lead up up to this match he was totally undefeated and had well not undefeated he never lost a match and I corrected myself and I have some asterisks with this because you have to put it in terms of wrestling that he never lost a match so there was some triple threat where he wasn't the one pinned you know, there were some DQ matches where, you know, he was, you know, a same type like he wasn't the one that lost or, you know, he never submitted. Maybe somebody else did. So I'm not saying he wasn't totally undefeated, but he wasn't totally undefeated. Now, if Joe were to ask me that himself, yeah, of course. Duh. Yeah. No shit. He's undefeated. Like, I'm not going to say otherwise to Joe. So it scares the hell out of me. But where does Kurt Angle come into play in all of this? So Joe, Joe's had you know, a long career doing this. October 19, 2006 is when Angle made his debut in TNA. It was 16 months after Joe made his. Kurt was actually coming off his WWE contract, which I know, Tom, you're going to get into a little bit, but he asked to be released early. That was that August in 2006. You know, we know he said it was for health reasons. You know, many of us know what Kurt has been through. It's a you know conversation for a different episode just with injury and painkillers and just alcohol over the years. He's fought back. He's always come back. And, but, you know, kind of dealing with that stuff. But he asked to be released, you know, that summer of 2006. The story that was happening in TNA was, and not terrible, but that Joe took Jeff Jarrett's NWA title. And if he, Jarrett, or Sting, they had a match that was coming up. And if they wanted that belt back, which Joe just took, he didn't win it, he just took it, that in order to get it back, that Joe wanted the winner of the Jarrett-Sting match. And so, of course, playground rules, you know, winner gets next match. Uh, got it. Makes sense. That's wrestling for you. So, <laughs> of course, Joe didn't give the belt up, didn't get the match he wanted, but under the threat of being fired, he still didn't give it up. And that is when Kurt Angle showed up and he was a face. I say he brawled with Joe a little bit. It was kind of cool. You can find the clip out there where, you know, Joe's refusing to give up the belt. The lights go out. You get the video package with, or you get his, his Titantron entrance, you know, the video playing and angles there and crowds popping. It's just kind of cool. But, I, you know, I went back. I say they brawled. Angle gave Joe a pretty good headbutt, a little bit of a, you know, the continuity with everything happening is uh, he actually opened up Joe. And so Joe was bleeding a little bit, which is kind of cool from the headbutt. They showed it in slow motion. I hate a headbutt. I know we've talked about that on the after show. I think the, the move is just, you're asking for injury. I think it's terrible, but it like at the same time, it did look really good. So I hate being that guy, but I am. So had that, it just good stuff. And of course, after this, they had to be pulled apart. They 
had a couple other pull-aparts. There were some good promos. But very quickly, these two had their match at Genesis that November. So again, Kurt was there in mid-October. By mid-November, this match was taking place. So how quickly these two came together in just really barely a month. So Tom, what else do you got? A lot of good stuff there. And again, it's fun going through this because some of this stuff I, I just wasn't aware of until we started doing research for the show. Great job as always with the build. Now, one of the things that I was thinking as you were saying some of that stuff was WWE, one of the great things they have going for them is just kind of this built-in season, right? I mean, WrestleMania is larger than life. It's the signature event. Then obviously the Royal Rumbles, the WrestleMania season, and then they're building the SummerSlam in the summer. And I don't, it just, it feels more like it's easier to build to certain things, right? We got to build to the hell in the cell. There's money in the bank, right? So one of the challenges I've always found for you know, WCW a little bit. I mean, they had Starcade, but WCW a little bit, certainly TNA, and I think now even AEW, one of the challenges is they don't have that natural, hey, we have WrestleMania coming up in three or four months, so let's save Joe and Angle for that. I'm not trying to make excuses. Look, the booking sucked in TNA, but one of the things that I found is maybe – some of this stuff is rushed because it's like, all right, well, we got the big hot matchup, so let's do it. Looking back, it's like, well, why did you give away probably the biggest match that you had really with just weeks of build? So I don't know, just something I was thinking is, as you walk through that, I'm like, well, didn't they have anything bigger to build to? And couldn't they have like, you know, had Joe just go on a war path and then had Angle win a couple matches? And just a thought there. Now, as you mentioned, you know, August 25th is when Angle gets his release. And again, we won't go into all the, the history of it on this episode, but obviously had some issues. WWE just lets him walk because of those issues. And Kurt Angle just ends up in TNA pretty quickly. That was panned. Remember, people were like, well, wait a second. This guy has issues. Obviously, he needs some help. He needs to get healthy but he signs with another wrestling company and you know, the same criticism with Jeff Hardy in, in a certain way as well. So he ends up in TNA, the no surrender pay-per-view, which takes place on September 24th is where it's announced by Dixie Carter, the TNA signs angle. Okay. And then Cornette kicks off this video footage of angle inside a six sided ring. It was really, really well done. And I remember, yeah, I don't know if it was Twitter or the internet or whatever, but I came across the highlight video of that. And I was like, holy shit, that's a big deal. And it was really, really cool how they did that video. So that was done well. And then obviously, you know, he comes in, he's the good guy, October 19th, confronts Samoa Joe, the whole thing with the belt, and we're off and running. But again, all of this happened pretty quickly in terms of not necessarily building to what I think could have been a bigger match down the line. And that's one of the big issues that it seems like TNA's just always had is not knowing the proper build and the proper booking to these matches because to your point earlier in the show, the talent was always there. So with that being said, it's time for the payoff. This match is all over the internet. So if you have the TNA service, obviously you have it on there. You can find it on a quick Google search, but it's Genesis 2006. When we come back from the break and you hear the ding, 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 we start the show at the beginning of the match. So with that being said, it's time for the payoff. Oh, it's time for the payoff. All right, we are here with Rick Bassman. It's Genesis 2006, Kurt Angle against a guy you know pretty well, Samoa Joe. Tell us a little bit about Joe. How did you meet him? And what do you think of the guy? Okay, wow, that's a broad question. You know what's going to happen with that question now with me. It's going to go on forever. But I We're going to be on. talking about a different wrestler in a different era here pretty soon. I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and for those that have heard in the archives our uh, previous matches, we went all over the place, but that's how I communicate. Obviously, you do too, so I think it's entertaining as hell. So we'll just see where the conversation goes. But let's, let's talk first about Joe. How did, how did you meet him, and uh, what do you think of the guy? All right. So, you know, it's funny. I usually don't remember how I first met people, but, but Joe, I do. We were doing a UPW show at the Roxy Theater in Hollywood on Sunset Boulevard, like the, the world, world famous rock and roll club. 
and we got there to do shows. And, you know, UPW back in those days was kind of like the place to go. And we almost never had no shows. I mean, it was a rarity when that happened. And Frankie Kazarian no showed us that day. And, and I love Frankie. And we don't talk much for friends to this day. But I remember calling him, talk to his dad. And I can't believe I even said this. I said, he will never, ever work for us again. That was just like, I was being such a dick and so out of character. But I forget who it was. Somebody from the UPW crew goes, hey, I know we need a worker for this spot. I know this guy is Samoa Joe. And I'm like, well, we don't have much time. Whoever it is, bring him over. So Joe comes in. I remember my first impression. Keep in mind, again, that UPW, for better or worse, had this rep for big, giant, bodybuilding-type physiques. And I saw Joe. I'm like, well, what's this? You know, the physique. And he, he's in really good shape here with Kurt Angle compared to what he looked like when he came in. So you can imagine. And I'm like, wow, okay. Not exactly what I had in mind, but okay. And he did his match. And I remember watching that match going, Wow, this guy is really good. I mean, he was absolutely amazing. And that was in the early stages of his career before he really learned to become a pro worker. What year would that have been? 2000, maybe. Okay, 20 years ago. That's not the exact year, but it's about that. Sure, sure, sure. So that was my first impression of Joe. You mentioned UPW. Tell everyone a little bit about what UPW was. How long was the existence? Who were some of the talents that went through that system? Yeah, UPW, Ultimate Pro Wrestling, was my company out of California. It uh, started in 1998. We did our first show ever at Extreme University, which was the gym that I owned in Mission Viejo, California. Guys on the first show were people like Nils Allen Stewart, who played Jesse Ventura in the NBC movie. Matt Hall, Psycho Matt Hall, who was known for going to prison and having a documentary made about him called Shot Caller. The famous bodybuilder, Aaron Baker. Sylvester Turkai was on our very first show. He went on to uh, WWE and to K1, of course. And a very, very good friend of mine still to this day. So that was UPW at its Andrew Bernarski, from, famous from the program and, and playing Leatherface, chasing Jessica Biel around. It was a pretty interesting crew. As it evolved, we brought guys into the first gym like Mark Kerr and Mark Coleman, who were the top two MMA heavyweights in the world at that time. And they trained with us, became part of UPW. And eventually, Ultimate Pro Wrestling expanded. We did a lot of shows in a lot of places. We captured our stuff on film or video, I should say. We were distributed in Walmart, Target, Kmart, you name it. And a lot of the, the guys and girls that were featured in it were people that came through us, like The Miz, like John Heidenreich, Nathan Jones, John Cena, Frankie Kazarian, Chris Daniels. Frankie and Chris didn't start with us, but they were a big part of us. And Victoria, the list just goes on and on. So Luther Reigns, so, so many people that went on to do good things in the business. These two are just beating the shit out of each other. I mean, it's fantastic. And, you know, Angle, and admittedly, you know, a lot of the TNA stuff I, I did not watch, but I'm looking forward to going back and, and watching some of the best matches in this format. Angle says this is the best work he ever did. Obviously, Joe's on fire as well. I mean, it's, it's great stuff. What do you think of this six-sided ring? You know what? I, I think TNA had to do something to distinguish themselves from what they saw as the competition. Of course, as we know, TNA never truly was you know, competition in the in the sense that sense of the word. But they wanted to look different, and the ring accomplished that. I know guys didn't love working in it because they, they didn't grow up training in that thing. But yeah. it is what it is. As far as this match goes, and these two guys go. I mean, I know Kurt pretty well. We're friends, and what you have in this ring right now are two reality-based guys that really, really know how to work who are extremely tough individuals. So I think this match here, you see the, the result of all of those attributes coming together. So it's good stuff. And I, I heard Angle in a recent interview. Obviously, he just finished up his last run and, and probably last match ever. He talked about how his you know, year, year and a half off, his body became arthritic. Did you watch any of his recent matches? You know, obviously, you know more, certainly more about health and some of the physical stuff than, than I ever will. So, I mean, did that make sense to you? Would you think about it? And, and would you think about his latest run? Well, you know what? I'm glad he had a final run. It was really cool seeing him out there and, and getting the accolades that he deserves. It would have been awesome if they found a way to do it without working. You know, in the same way that Bill Goldberg and The Undertaker probably shouldn't have done the deal. They just did. You know, this business is hard. It's really hard on your body. 
And I'm 57 now, and I didn't do nearly the amount of work these guys did. And, you know, and I'm smaller, so it should be easier for me to take care of myself. But, you know, I've had four major back surgeries and a spine that damn near disintegrated. And wow. it takes a lifelong toll on you. And as far as him being arthritic from head to toe, yeah, unfortunately, you could see it when he was out there. But Kurt being Kurt, when, the first time he came to work for UPW, he had a legit broken neck. I mean, broken neck. And the office said, you are not working. And he came to me and said, Rick, Rick, I really want to work. And he went out there and did an amazing match with Chris Daniels. I mean, <laughs> that's Kurt Angle for you. And same with Joe. Dude. Joe's an incredibly tough guy, man. No matter what condition these guys are in, they're going to go out and do their thing. Although, as we know, the business doesn't allow that anymore, which I think is a blessing. But Jim Cornette probably thinks it's horrible. But <laughs> I, I like their ticking. I don't mean Jim doesn't want to take care of the guys. I don't mean I've come across that way. Just more of the old school mentality is you work hurt. You gave me a good segue to my next question. So I vaguely remember this inside pro wrestling school on the Discovery Channel. Tell us where did that come from and are you happy with how it turned out? What did you think about it? I haven't watched it in a long time. I actually have it here at home on VHS. It never even made it to DVD. That's how old it is. And my girlfriend has gave me a VHS player, but we can't find the damn connector cords. <laughs> I'm dying to find the cords. <laughs> The video that was on the Discovery Channel. It was about the year 2000. They ran it over 200 times because it received that good of a response from the Discovery Channel viewers. A guy named Tom Beers cold called me one day. Tom is now a legendary reality producer. He created The Deadliest Catch and Ice Road Truckers and Axemen. He's one of the top guys in the reality business. And he said, I'm doing a series for Discovery called On the Inside, where they went into different worlds and did an hour special. And he wanted to do on the inside pro wrestling school. And, you know, I was at that point already past my Disney days where I won an Emmy Award at Disney for producing. And he didn't realize at first that, you know, I was a, a TV guy as well as a wrestling guy. So we started to develop the story. And he offered me a co-executive producership on the show. And we worked our asses off to come up with what I think is a great one hour that showcases about Six, six people, I think, and their journey in the wrestling business during that period of time. And it was a hell of a show. But you brought it up. You brought it up for a reason, I think. No, I was just curious. I had vaguely remembered it, but I don't even know if I've ever seen it. I think I did at some point. I want to go back and watch it. I, I, you know, I wonder if it's available on YouTube or somewhere else. I know uh, that most of it is online, if not as a whole show, at least in pieces. That was a show where, you know, amongst the stars were uh, John Cena, of course, Justin McCauley, the UFC fighter who turned down his WWE deal, Aaron Aguilera, who was Jesus, two girls, Cassandra Ferragamo, sadist, and Jenny Lane Looney, who you probably wouldn't know, and then myself as kind of like the promoter, impresario, whatever you want to call it, and then Tom Howard, who was my best friend in the business and our head trainer. And uh, it's pretty darn good, man. Yeah, I think we're going to try and find a link and post it, but it, it's just fascinating. Forgot even happened in certainly a different era. So really it was cutting edge what, what you were doing. This match, we're 10 minutes into this thing and it looks like a damn war. I mean, you know, not that there's anything wrong with 30, 40 minute classics, but, you know, these guys in a real believable way get to this point in about 10 minutes action. It just shows you how damn good they are as everyone's on their feet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Again, that's like that's what I call reality based. And you know, Kurt's an Olympic gold medalist, of course, that's real. Joe is a huge student of Pro Estu, you know, the Japanese shoot wrestling style. He did very well in Japan before he came back over here full time. These guys know what, you know, making a pro wrestling match into a real fight looks like. And you look at this and it it's you know, here's the thing. Everything they're doing is real. I mean, they, they obviously, you know, I'm not trying to go old school with kayfabe on anybody because I wouldn't insult anybody's intelligence that way. But you can't fake a suplex like that. You can't fake laying in the shots the way they're laying them in. You know, they're talking to each other. They know where they're going. But everything else is real, man. And these guys are tough enough to do that. So it's wild because, you know, this is a great match. These are two big-time stars. The fans are going nuts. Granted, it's a smaller venue, but they're all on their feet going nuts. You had Sting on the undercard. Christian defeated AJ Styles. Christopher Daniels was on the undercard. The uh, New Age Outlaws, Robert Roode. Ron Killings. I mean, in your mind, I don't know how closely you followed it. You can let us know, but why didn't TNA take off more? I mean, at this period of time. 
Well, man, you know what? On a smaller or larger scale, if you will, it's a similar thing to a guy like named Andrew McManus, if you know who that is. Started yeah. I think, okay, World Wrestling All-Stars, right? And he had a bunch of money behind him, so he bought up whatever big names were available at the time to go do some stuff in Australia. And like many before him and several after, he was going to be the next WWE overnight. Now, TNA obviously is not Andrew McManus. They had, they had a lot more wrestling knowledge and a lot more knowledge of the business. But the point is that having as your only true element for success a group of stars doesn't make you competitive. It's all about the exposure vehicle, man. And TNA was never on a network that got behind it. And that doomed them from the start. People might dispute that, say, oh, Spike pushed it, but they didn't give it. It was a half-hearted push at best. And there was just, there was nothing that pointed toward longevity behind TNA getting any exposure other than the hardcore fans' eyeballs that knew it was already there. Yeah, it's, it's just a small percentage of the base. That's it, man. It's really that simple. Yeah, this was, this was fantastic. Hey, so you mentioned Disney, and you know one of the things I came across in my research was you did some work with Roddy Piper. What the hell was that guy like? Oh, God. Okay, so Roddy and my living friend, because you'll love to hear this, Diamond Dallas Page, in addition to Tom Howard, who I mentioned, I always considered or came to consider my very best friends in the business. And I grew up a huge Roddy Piper fan. I watched him at the Olympic Auditorium when I was a kid. I hated him then. He was a villain. Of course, I used to boo the villains. When he got over in WWF, I became a huge, huge fan of his. And then in 91, I think it was, right after my Disney days, I was hired to produce a movie in Los Angeles called The Misery Brothers, one of the worst movies ever made. But I got to book a bunch of cameos in it, and I saw a spot for Roddy Piper. So I reached out and was able to book him. And I was I talked about, I booked Pat Morita from Karate Kid and Luke Ferrigno in the movie and Sherman Helmsley, who was George Jefferson. And the list goes on and on. Eric Estrada from Chips, the list goes on. But I like marked out so hard for Roddy being in the movie. It was a big thrill for me to work with him and got to know him a little bit there. And then eventually we became really good friends, man. And I don't use that term lightly. I mean, we did a ton of social stuff together. I got to know his wife. I got to know his kids. We traveled a lot together. He used to come by my school. He did plenty of my shows. I did a lot of bookings for him, a lot of personal appearances, a lot of movies, a lot of TV stuff. And we talked. I mean, we would get on the phone and just talk. And you know, I love Roddy Piper. I mean, I'm, he's one of the guys, him, Sean O'Hare, Dave Logino, who was a mixed martial arts fighter. These are guys I truly, truly miss, man. Roddy was a true friend. I appreciate you sharing. And uh, hey, we, we promised everyone we'd cover quite, quite a few different topics, and we did. Man, that was just an awesome match, a complete war. It was stiff. It was, you know, legit. I mean, it was just an awesome, awesome match. And it just makes you wonder if, if they had a little bit more TV exposure and maybe just a little bit more business savvy, what that promotion could have been. Well, it could have been competition. And as we've seen in different eras, competition brings out the best in everyone. Without question. Without question. Yeah, it was a hell of a match. I'm glad we got to watch it. It was cool seeing those guys do their thing. Well, appreciate you being here, and thanks for joining the payoff. Hey, my pleasure, man. It's a lot of fun. Thank you. Oh, it's time for the aftermath. Got to thank Rick Bassman for you know joining us again to talk through this match. You know, always good to have the founder at UPW on the show. Just some of his involvement with the careers of these superstars, and so uh, always good to hear from him again. So thanks again for that. My thoughts on this match: just immediately the crowd was into this one. You know, you got the "This is awesome" chant right out of the gate, which was fantastic. I don't care how many times I see it. Joe diving through the ropes is just incredible to me. I think it's the way I'm wired and just kind of, you know, who I am that oddly enough, I compare him to someone like Chris Farley and just like how physical he was. And like, I'm a big dude too. And so Joe is just so physical and watching him do what he does. And in my mind, I was like, he shouldn't be able to do that, but he does it and he does it so well. And it's just awesome for me. So another chant we don't hear often. I appreciated this, you know, ECW gave us the, please don't die, but the uh, less gruesome is, you know, make him tap, which I enjoy that as well too it's just not one we hear very often so in the moment it worked fantastic a little bit of a follow-up to that soon too so tom what did you think of the payoff 
Well, you, you just brought up a really interesting point was just like Joe's look and how legitimate he was and how it's just a different look and feel than a lot of wrestlers. And I think you're dead on. And, you know, that's the benefit of guys creating their characters outside of the WWE ecosystem is a lot of times those are the characters that are the most different, like a Samoa Joe, like a CM Punk, right, that just keep that really cool gimmick once they get into WWE and are just how, again, a different physical look. I think of like a Kevin Owens where doesn't look like a WWE prototypical performer. And that's a really good thing. That's what's fun about the show is that you have the different characters, the different sizes and builds and all that stuff. That variety helps out as opposed to, I was even recently, you know, EC3, another uh, TNA alum. It's just, I think one of the things that hurts him is he just looks like a big WWE wrestler. And so some of these guys with a unique look just look so much different. So you, you brought up a really good point there. Our guest, Rick Bassman, he was great. I think we'll keep bringing him on. He has so much material, so much good stuff, really interesting perspective. So that was good. Another thing, Jeff, that was a sport, right? Like you're, you're watching that. And it's like for 13 and a half minutes, you had two athletes just beating the shit out of each other. And I don't know if you can do that like every show, every match, but Sometimes it's nice to just have those two prize fighters in there versus two wrestlers that aren't dressed like athletes, aren't conducting themselves like athletes, aren't beating the shit out of each other, being stiff and looking like they're in a fight. Man, that six-sided ring, I know it's the first time we've covered TNA. There's a very fine line between trying to be different than your competition and just looking completely Bush League. I thought that looked completely Bush League. I get what they tried. It's not a bad thought to do, but the workers hated it. It looked Bush League. You add it to the fact that it was in a studio and it just didn't come off well. And so that's, I think, one of the challenges that, you know, for AEW or anyone else that wants to compete with WWE, how are we different? How do we offer variety, but not look like a minor league? So those are my initial thoughts. Now, Jeff, what happened to these two following this match? Because obviously this would go on to be one of the more legendary feuds in the history of TNA. Yeah, and just kind of what we're talking about today, the aftermath of this was pretty good, actually. So as you might see, depending on, you know, how you watched this match, if you YouTube or, you know, wherever you found it, you know, Angle celebrated his victory in the ring, started to leave, but Joe called for a mic, got it, and actually called Angle back to the ring. At the time, the crowd had the you tapped out chant happening. So I kind of think speaking to Joe's mic skills here a little bit, he played it up and then he said, you're goddamn right I tapped out. I can recognize when somebody on one day is a better man. I appreciate that little just one day slipping in there. It's just like, hey, he was good today. It doesn't mean he's good tomorrow. So, you know, Joe extended his hand to kind of shake Angle's hand after the match. But Angle walked out and this was as – the crowd was, at the time, they were chanting one more time because they wanted to see this match again. So I thought it was a little odd that Angle, like, he's the face. And so it would have made sense for, like, the flip side, but whatever, that's your booking for you, which, you know, didn't make a ton of sense. So finally, you know, these guys had a couple other matches. What happened was, first, it was Turning Point, which it was a month later. Joe actually beat Angle with the Coquina Clutch on this one. It was a moment where there was a chair that was kind of involved that bounced back off the ropes. It was a whole thing. You got to watch it. But, of course, it did lead to Joe getting the win on that one. And then the following show, Final Resolution, the two of them had a 30-minute Ironman match. And the winner got a shot at the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Angle ended up winning this one, but I highly suggest it. Kind of spoilers, to start, Joe forced Angle to submit to the Coquina Clutch, and then Angle forced Joe to submit to the ankle lock, so we're tied up at this point. There was another ankle lock. You got the two to one. And then, as my favorite, the muscle buster. We're lined up at two to two. And then finally, it was just a cradle pin, and Angle got the win three to two on that one. So definitely check that one out. You know, there's definitely been some good Ironman matches over the year, and that's one I would recommend. Just kind of checking it out if you got some time. And Jeff, you are never going to believe this, but at Final Resolution 2007, there was another new 
NWA world champion. So that's at least three title changes that we've covered in this like couple month stretch. So that really builds credibility to the world title. Good job, Shane Douglas. Really started something. So, <laughs> Joe, though, he, he wrestled a lot. You know, he was in TNA for, you know, really from when he joined, he was there until 2005. He ended up debuting in NXT. It was actually three months later that April. So, he left in February of 2015. And then three months later, we get his debut that April. So, Tom, how about your thoughts on the aftermath? Yeah, you know, I know I've really been beating up on TNA on this episode, but first, let's talk globally like of the company, all right? So they have this Thursday night show, this big two-hour thing on Spike, you know, they balls to the wall, they try to make it a great show, they debut Kurt Angle, then we follow up with this Genesis pay-per-view, Angle and Joe, main event, knockdown, drag out, great brawl, great match, okay? So we're through that. Now we follow up the following week with a one-hour television show. So Jeff, you would think, well, gosh, they're going to try to keep the momentum going and and get a good rating. They don't. This is a one-hour show, but they end up doing three matches, okay? We get a AJ Styles and Chris Daniels against the Naturals tag match. Three minutes. Then we get an Eric Young and Robert Roode match. One minute. Then we get a Sting and Christian Cage no contest five-minute match. So we have, what is that? Nine minutes of wrestling on an hour show. And we had, you know, a screw job finish in one of them. So, I mean, it's just, it's screwy bullshit, terrible booking. Like, it's just like, again, Jeff, I say, hey, you got an hour of TV and I'm going to give you uh, AJ Styles. I'll give you Sting. I'll give you Christian Cage. You got Angle on the roster. You got Abyss. You got Robert Roode. You know, I think Kevin Nash, Shane Douglas are floating around. Like, you got all these guys you can use in a variety of ways. Let's come up with something good. And then that's what you come up with. This is like that. What is it? Like the fantasy football thing where like you're given so much money and you got to pick from the Yeah, it's like how DraftKings work, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it blows my mind. So it's, again, they had money. They had TV. They had a lot. I mean, the roster and they just, it sucked. I mean, it really did. You know, it's interesting, you know, for as much as people bag on Vince McMahon, you know, having just one guy that just is a authoritarian, I'm going to make the final decision, you know, there's something to be said for that so that, you know, you don't let the inmates run the asylum and you just get this just chaos, but very, very poor booking. Other than that, Jeff, you know, we've talked about Kurt Angle's TNA career and how he ended up in TNA and, and, and when that happened. And what I always forget is he was there for 10 years. Mm-hmm. He was there until 2016. So there's just a lot that happened, a lot of matches, a lot of really good stuff. But man, it's just hard to believe he was there for 10 years. So let's talk newsletters. What were the reviews of this match? And then obviously we'll get into our payoff scores as well. I won't get into the specifics of the uh, pro wrestling torch gave it four stars. I like the observer write up a little bit more on this one. It's not the play by play, but they, they did a good write up here. And so I do want to read it cause I, I did think it was pretty good. So, It said, personally, I thought it was a pretty damn great little match. The biggest complaint, and I will voice this complaint as well, was that they only went 13 minutes. I'm told prior to the match, both guys were asking to rush through the pre-match stuff so they could have plenty of time, but then ended up going home early on their own. The show ended with several minutes of TV time left. With all that said, it was one of the better 13-minute main event matches you'll ever see. They busted out all of their trademark spots. Angle did his German suplex, and they even attempted the one where Joe flipped over on the third. Didn't work, but it still looked dangerous, and nobody was hurt. Joe used all of his usual spots, including the muscle buster, which I can't believe a guy with a neck like Kurt Angle would take. Funny to think that they were writing this back in 2006. Well, yeah, and I'm just thinking, okay, since that happened in 2006, oh, I don't know, he probably did a moonsault off a top of cage like 20 times. Right, exactly. So the crowd was into it pretty much from start to finish. There was blood and there was even the real life morbid drama where you sit there glued to the screen, perhaps clutching the edge of your chair and thinking to yourself, oh God, I hope nobody dies for real here. 
In the end, Angle tapped him out clean to the ankle lock, but then refused in a post-match angle to grant Joe a rematch. As it turns out, the entire situation gets, quote, resolved in a very convoluted manner in the next three weeks of TV, leading to Angle versus Joe 2 that December. Four and a quarter stars. Couldn't find anything on Grapple, but I have to agree with this. It, it really did kind of exceed my expectations going back and watching it. Especially, like we said, knowing what we know now and just, you know, some of the bumps that Angle was taking and, and while also, you know, he just put over Joe is just a great heel. It was just fantastic. I can't believe I'm making this comparison, but I really think it's like Angle putting over King Corbin. I'm not, I'm not praising Corbin. I'm praising Angle. So... Corbin does his job as a good heel. But anyways, you know, Angle doing the work here. And this was so long ago, doing his job. And so I, I thought that was great. So I agree with actually this right, a write-up and description more than most. So, Tom, how about your thoughts? Yeah, I not much to add. I'm in a 100% agreement with you. I thought the write-ups were fair. I thought that, you know, the four stars, the four and a quarter stars are very accurate. You know, they acknowledged the hard work. They acknowledged how stiff it was. But... Yeah, again, it's, you know, the, the point is the booking probably wasn't that great and it was convoluted and here we go. But again, as far as the actual in-ring match, fantastic. And again, not much to add there. Let's talk our payoff scores and let's have you go first. Yeah, I'll remind everyone just, you know, our payoff scores, we look at everything. It's one through 10, but the crowd, the build, the commentary, in-ring product, just whatever we want, you know, just the overall storytelling drama, you know, no specific formula, but just two fans and what we thought of the match. So with that being score, my score is going to be an eight. I love heel Joe. I think some characters just have that natural ability, you know, even in his time in NXT and in WWE, I like seeing him as that monster heel. I think it's just really cool to see him out there doing that. And it should be. And he's a bigger dude now, which is even scarier to think about than like we talked about, like how he was back then. But, you know, I enjoyed seeing that. I think there's also just, you kind of watched some of the promos and I felt like he was really working on the fly with the chants that were happening that I think there's very few and we hear it all the time, even nowadays, like he's very good on the mic and there's very few that come close to him on that regard. I went back, there's some, I thought I found it funny. There were some compilation videos of Joe being savage on the mic. And so I thought that was just good. And some of my favorites and hopefully Tom, you know, you can appreciate this too, is the, uh, I'll be your new daddy to uh, AJ's <laughs> wife, Wendy, which was fantastic. That was a really good one. That whole little promo was very good. That whole little feud was good. And really, any interaction we have with AJ, because they go so far back. They just had so many matches. Act like this is an AA meeting and shut your mouth to Jeff Hardy. That was super on point. Like the crowd, that, that was just a great reaction. So go back and kind of check that one. But I think the best crowd reaction was what you had Brock, Roman, and Joe in the ring. And at one point, Brock kind of looked away to look at Roman. And Joe said, you look at me when I'm talking to you or we can straighten this out right now. The crowd just went apeshit. It was great. There was a buildup and Joe had done a good job up to that point. And then you can even kind of see Roman in the background. Like he cracked, like he broke very easily, but he was kind of chuckling a little bit. And I almost, like, not a mouth reader, but I felt like he was kind of saying like, that was pretty good. So I enjoyed that. I thought that was funny. I do wonder watching this one, it's going to be terrible wrestling with your face just covered in blood. But I wondered kind of typing up my notes, just how bad it is for the guy wrestling him. It's not like it's sweat. It's, you know, it's totally different and having to deal with that. And so just one of those crazy things that I was kind of thinking about and why I'm all for a crimson mask, which kind of helps, you know, my score a little bit, but well, and so in my backyard wrestling days, I never bladed, never once wanted to be a PG product and you know, no blood and guts back in those days. <laughs> TV PG, look at you, man, like making the censors happen. You imagine so. like, all right, so this backyard wrestling thing, okay, like my mom was just like, you're an idiot, don't break your neck, right? You imagine if I came home with a blade cut on my forehead and blood coming down my face, and then yeah, I had to be been. like, oh, yeah, I just I just pulled it out of the tape in my wrist and, and cut myself with it. Like, Yeah, you would have never had another wrestling. Yeah. Oh, God. 
Thank God you had your newsletter. So that's yeah. right. So overall, th- this one was better than I expected. I think eight is definitely worthy. It's fun watching good wrestling, plain and simple. You know, and I take it from one of the wrestling videos that was describing some stuff. It's like there's a lot of bad wrestling out there, but when it's good, it's really good. And this one, it was pretty. It was really good. I enjoyed it, and you know, can't shit on that. That's for sure. So, Tom, what do you got for your score? All right, so a couple things. We're not we're not too far off here, you and I. I just love that this was like two prized fighters, two legitimate badasses. It was brutal as hell. I love the way it was presented. You, you can't wrestle like this every match, but just that stiff, quick pace. We're beating the shit out of each other. You know this is a work, but you know that we're not laying off of each other like wink wink nudge nudge like I I just I love it right so I I think that this is a fun different presentation style of pro wrestling really good so that's one of the pluses that I have for this another one Jeff is I feel like a lot of times when people look at like oh this was a five-star classic oh this was an incredible match they look at like how long the match was and so this was 13 minutes I think a lot of times people are like well Classic matches are 25 minutes. They're 45 minutes. They're an hour and a half, right, inside the Tokyo Dome. Sometimes less is more. And look, if these two prized fighters are beating the shit out of each other, it shouldn't last 20 minutes. That's not what this should be, right? And so I I like that it was shorter, but I think sometimes people like dock that against. Like, oh, that was a great 13-minute match, but my goodness, if it was 25 minutes, it would have been a five-star classic. There's an interesting list, and and I think it was What Culture put together a list of like the best matches ever that were under 10 minutes. And the number one, I think was Owen Hart and the one, two, three kid. And I think it was the year Owen won the King of the Ring, but I, I could be completely wrong about who was in it and the year and everything. But, but I think that was it. And it was like six minutes long, eight minutes long, something like that. It was incredible. Right. And so I don't, sometimes those matches are fun where like people just disqualify them because they're like, well, it wasn't 15 minutes long. It can't be regarded as a really good match. It was another one that comes to mind. And this was probably like a 12 to 15 minute match was Batista and Undertaker at WrestleMania, obviously Undertaker won, but Again, it's a different type of match, right? It's not the 35-minute classic, but sometimes I like when just two guys just beat the shit out of each other for under 15 minutes, and it's just a fast-paced, hard-hitting match. So I don't think we see a lot of this, but I like it. Those are the good things. The only thing that keeps this from being as high, if not higher than your ranking, Jeff, is like the build was just blah, right? And that's what gets lost in all this is you have these great matches, but... Was it really that great of a build? Show me the promos that I have to see. Show me the great angles that I have to see. Show me why this was such a great build. It wasn't. It was a couple angles on TV, and then boom, we have a match. And then a couple more angles, and we have another match. And again, I know you want to put angle in a big spot, but why Joe? Why the undefeated guy? Why don't you keep those guys apart for like three months or six months or hell, a year? Let's get crazy here. And then you have the match. That's what I thought this was lacking. But that is the issue with TNA so often is that they just rushed stuff. They didn't give it the proper build. They went to pop the rating. They went to pop the buy rate. I know they're trying to build a business. I know they're trying to increase buys and stuff. But the storytelling with that amount of talent on the roster just always fell short. So with that being said, I'm giving it a 7.5 out of 10 on my payoff score. It would have been higher if it had a really good build and a longer, more meaningful build to it. So that's where I'm at, Jeff. With that being said, let's head to the finish, my friend. Yeah. You want to start? Yeah. You can start us off. Go ahead, man. Final thoughts. Yeah. You know, the first thing I'll say is... (laughs) In some weird way, like I I don't wish anyone to lose their job, but it's like I wish TNA would go out of business just so that WWE would get the tape library and they'd put it all on the network and they'd repackage it, right? Like there's so much stuff that I want to see in TNA. Yeah, I could find it. And yeah, they have their service and stuff, but I'd love to see just some like really well produced documentaries and some of the stuff WWE does with their tape library with some of the TNA stuff. Cause there, there was some really good stuff in there as a WWE mark. I hate that we lost a decade of Kurt angle. I mean, play it out, 
what matches would you have liked to see Kurt Angle in in 2007, 8, 9, 10? I mean, gosh, more stuff with Shawn Michaels, right? CM Punk, Batista. Like, just think of all the guys that there could have really been some good stuff with, more stuff with The Undertaker. And again, in his prime, and we just didn't get to see it. You alluded to it earlier. I made fun of you, but I agree. I'd like to see more of Joe on the WWE roster and in today's product, there's been some flirtation of pushes with him and then it kind of gets stopped. And yeah, I I just like to see him with more time, bigger run. And he's one of those guys, man, just give him the damn microphone and let him do his thing. And they, they really haven't done that as much as I'd like them to do. You know, you look at the way like Kevin Owens is booked. I'd like to see something like that for Joe, just tear him loose and let him just be a badass. So, Jeff, that's all I got for us. What about you, my friend? Fun match, man. You know, I, I like you said, I could definitely be down for uh, some more TNA matches on the payoff in the near future because it was fun. There's a lot of bad ones in there, and we've, we've covered some bad ones too. But this one was a good one, and so I really enjoyed doing this. And so thanks again, Rick Bassman, for joining us. It was always great, you know, with how involved he was, like I said, with some of these guys' careers. It's great to have him back and talking to us. And again, wrap this up. Just like we say at the start of the show, everyone, subscribe to the payoff. Give us those five stars. Spread the word about the show at payoff pod you're going to find us facebook twitter instagram we are out there don't hesitate to look us up shoot us a message we love hearing from you all the time and just that one tier on patreon just payoffpatreon.com get all that bonus content we're going to wrap this up go record our after show but so tom so we can get into that i will kick it over to you to send us off is this the part where i say thank you for joining us on the payoff this is the, the yes you got it my friend all right once again thank you for joining us on the payoff.